isn't it hasn't been great this morning just to share in the celebrations that are happening but isn't it also interesting how there's so much happening in our church people in our families in our homes there's so much happening around the world and just on Monday night at our small group we were just sharing as we do and it was a really beautiful time of sharing and there was this sense of wow there is so much going on in all our families and in the world at the moment and a wise person spoke up and she said hey all this stuff's happening but we've seen God move before and we can believe that he'll be faithful for us again. And I really felt that the room just was encouraged by that word from God and I felt God say to me to be still and know that I am God. And I'm just talking before I even start, but I just wanted to share with you, let's just take a moment to close our eyes and know that he is God in your life, in the life of the person next to you. Let's know Let's deeply know that he is God. Lord, we just worship you as the king of all kings. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, wanting to have our lives changed, wanting to have our hearts changed, God. You know each of us intimately. You know the cares that we carry you know the frustrations we've had this week. You know the things that we are just feeling like we are failing at, the things that we're ashamed of, Lord, the things that just keep coming at us. And Lord, this morning I declare victory in your name. Lord, I declare that you are the king of all kings. Lord, that when we come to you and we seek you, Lord, you have, you have open arms for us. Lord, we don't have to be in control. We don't have to have all the answers, but we need to trust you. So this morning we come before you and we say we trust you. There is no God like you and we worship you. Lord, open our hearts to hear, for us to hear what you have to say to us today. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series on the end of, time, end of things end of things, end of things, not end of time, but yeah, end of things. And we've been particularly looking at Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, where Jesus spoke to his disciples about his return. We have looked at the importance of having a relationship with God, that we need to put our trust in God, that we need to remember that joy is coming and that there's no need for fear and worry in what we don't understand or know, to not be afraid of the things to come, but to be prepared that Jesus is coming back. Praise the Lord. And while we wait, we need to encourage each other along the journey. Because encouraging each other on, along the journey is important because when we look around the world, as we've just talked about, there are wars and famines and suffering, devastation. There's pandemics. Pa Thank you. Isolation that comes from that. There's broken families, there's broken communities. And this week, we saw more senseless shootings in the US, more. And it's left families and communities shattered. It's hard for us sitting right here to even fathom what they're going through. How do we live in this season of waiting for Jesus' return? Because the reality is we, we don't know the day or the hour when he'll return. 
But how do we make sure that in the midst of desperate times that we continue to reach out to the hurting? How do we walk with people in our community who are scared with all that's happening in the world, who are lost and lonely? How do we resist the temptation to self-protect, self-preserve, when it all seems too hard, and instead find the, the energy and, and the, um, what is it, courage to fight and serve others in love? How do we grab hold of the fact that now, more than ever, people need to hear about Jesus? In Romans 10, it says, For everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? People need someone to tell them about Jesus, how he loves them, how he died for them, how their sin, as Matt said this morning, is remembered no more, that they are fully accepted and fully loved. And their saving is hanging on their hearing about Jesus. And when we take a look in God's word about the life of Jesus, the way that he walked among people, the people who were broken and sick, living in poverty, people who were lost and lonely, left out, the way that he moved towards people shows us a little bit of how we can live in our here and now, in the mess and distress that we see in the world. In Galatians 5.13 it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And as followers of Jesus, our freedom is freedom from having to earn our way to God. We live in the reality that because of Jesus' work on the cross, nothing, no sin, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no circumstance, no sickness, no poverty, bondage, broken relationship, nothing can separate us from God's love. We have been made fully compatible to a holy God, not because we did something amazing, but because Jesus did. We are called to live in freedom and to use our freedom to what? Serve one another in love. Our freedom is meant to benefit other people. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he walked on the earth. He served others in love. He saw, he knew, he comforted, he healed, he walked with. And with love, he served others. That was his strategy. He served the people that he came across with love. So I want to look at a couple of times in the Bible where Jesus did this. And in, first of all, reading from Matthew 9, 9 to 13, if you'd like to follow along. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, which means gift of God. My husband likes to tell me that the name Matthew means gift of God. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. 
But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call those who think, call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus, as he walked along, came across Matthew, a tax collector. And tax collectors were people that Jewish people hated. They were traitors. They worked for the Roman government and they had the power to force people to pay their taxes. In fact, they were allowed to keep anything that was over-collected. So you can imagine the overcharging and the cheating so that they could pocket all the surplus. So that for the Jewish people, the tax collectors were not loved. And yet Jesus called Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him and be his disciple. And if you think about it, it's quite an unusual thing. And if you think about it in the world of social media, if you want followers, surely you want people who will support you and are about your cause and are about the things that you are interested in and your ideas and your thoughts. But no, Jesus asks a man to follow him who would have been hated by many, who would have lived a life of deceit and selfishness, and he asked him to follow him. And Matthew responded to Jesus. He left his tax collecting business and he followed him and then invited him over for dinner. And there Jesus ate with Matthew's fellow friends, tax collector friends and sinners. And it was a dinner that grew to be quite large and it drew the attention of all the Pharisees. And of course they didn't approve. How could Jesus eat with such sinners? And Jesus said to them, he didn't call for followers that thought themselves good enough, but he called those who knew that they were sinners. God chose an imperfect, unpopular, cheating tax collector to be his disciple. And the way that God loved Matthew brought a change so great in his life as he, and he followed Jesus and he went to write and document all about the life of Jesus that was in the Bible. His heart was completely changed. This second one that we'll read, you'll see as we read this one, it's, one is a little bit more unusual, an unusual healing that we will read about in the Bible. But as unusual as it is, what it does is reminds us that we know a God who can and does do miraculous things in unexpected ways. So this is the story of Jesus who heals a lame man in John 5. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame or paralysed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the waters bubble up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me and only one person gets healed. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. 
Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected and they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. Apparently that's work. Don't carry your sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me to pick up your mat and walk. Here is a man who suffered for 38 years with a condition that stopped him from walking. Was he 38? I don't know. We don't know. He was waiting with hundreds, they say, hundreds of other people waiting for healing. But this man, like many of the others, had been going to the pool, hope of healing, and had been long disappointed. Now, Jesus did not approach a faith-filled, believing sick man. He approached a man who had given up on ever receiving his healing. And despite the man's hopelessness, Jesus challenged the man to believe for the impossible. And that's what happened. The man responded to Jesus and he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. And what was impossible just a moment earlier, impossible a moment earlier, suddenly happened and he was healed. Jesus served with love a man who was forgotten and loved by his community. He served a man who was without hope and when he asked the man to follow his instructions, the man did and he was changed forever. What really stands out to me in both of these stories is that as Jesus went about his days, he saw people. As he was walking along, he saw Matthew, the tax collector, sitting at his booth. As he entered Jerusalem, he saw a man who had been ill for a long time in amongst the crowds of people. Jesus saw people. He noticed them. He was all about the people who the rest of society had forgotten, all the, pe- all the people did not like. And as he went about his days, he noticed, he looked out for people who were not everyone's first choice for company. He stopped for people that others ignored. He was gentle and gracious and kind. But he was tough on the Pharisees, wasn't he? On the religious leaders. Following the law was their life's work and he saw straight into their hearts their self-righteousness, their pride, their controlling hearts. The very people that Jesus stopped for, the sinners and the sick, the religious leaders were the hardest on. Recently, I um, listened to this amazing interview about a man who had, um, from the US, who had committed to making a a large financial donation, my gosh, to the Ukrainian community. And as I was listening, he unravelled that that he had this money, but he wanted it to be the best, use the best it could possibly use for the Ukrainian people. So he decided, in order for him to ascertain that, he needed to fly to the Ukraine. He needed to speak to the people who had fled. He needed to speak to the the organisations and the relief workers who were already there on the ground and see what was working and who needed help. He wanted to speak to the people who had lost loved ones. He wanted to speak to the people who were without their families. He wanted to know how 
they could best serve the Ukrainian community with the funds they had to give. Now, I'm sure I don't need to remind you, but we are talking about a country at war where attempts are being made to wipe out the Ukrainian culture and identity. That's the, that's the goal. And some statistics that I read, which quite honestly are probably outdated by now, are, are this. 33.7 million square metres of residential buildings destroyed. 23,000 kilometres of road ripped up by shelling. The cost of damage is about $4.5 billion a week. And overall, they're expecting the cost of the war to be $600 billion or more. And of course, this doesn't take into consideration the devastation that the war has wreaked on people's lives, on the income, on the economy, I can't speak, economy and on the communities that are there. And this author was, this man, he's an author, he was speaking about the thousands of people that were fleeing, the thousands that were now sheltering in stadiums. That was their new home for now. He spoke to conscripted soldiers who were given two weeks training and a gun and sent to war. And one of the things that I just, um, that really, I was really drawn to, that spoke to me as I listened, was the way that he described his desire to serve the Ukrainians with love. He says, love has no agenda. It has to be given abundantly and free with no returns no strings. And he asked, what does love for the people in the Ukraine look like? And they served the community in love while they were there with the ways that they decided to best financially support them. And as I continue to speak, listen to the man speak, he said, the people in crisis are the real heroes. We are just carrying their bags. We're just carrying their bags. We're trying to lighten the load in huge devastation. And this man loved well because he saw well. He saw the people who were fleeing to safety. He saw the people who had lost, lost loved ones and the people who were worried about what their future held. And he was able to see the way that he could best help them. He saw well, so he was able to love well. We know the war in Ukraine is not over. And we too could ask, what would loving the people of Ukraine look like for me? Serving them in love can happen from afar, of course, and it most certainly begins with us on our knees praying for them. Because in situations like this, we need to do all we can to stay awake to the situations that are going on and to hunger for God to move in ways that we might not even fathom. And as we pursue God, as we're active in keeping our hearts aligned to his heart, we can be active in prayer for people near and far that are facing unimaginable pain and circumstances. A few years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, I rang my cousin in Brisbane, who a few months early had suffered deep, traumatic, unimaginable loss. And I rang to check in on her. 
And as we were talking, she burst into tears and I thought, yeah, okay, of course, she's grieving, she's hurting, it's, it's okay. And I just let her cry for a little while. And then she said, oh, at school today, my son has somehow managed to get his shoes completely soaked and I don't know how to get them dry before tomorrow. And she was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Now, was the whole thing really about red, wet shoes? <laughs> Not really, no. She needed somebody to be present as she walked through doing the normal everyday things that you do that was suddenly feeling impossible. And on this day, it was solving the dilemma of wet shoes. And we, I laugh about it with her now, years down the track, but with her heart still deeply hurting. But in that moment, the best way that I could love her was just to be there and sit with her, listen to her and figure out how she was going to get the shoes dry. There are big, major needs in our world now, like wars and senseless shootings. And there are people who are right in front of us that God is asking us to serve in love. There might be people who have um, some similar life experiences to us, or they might be someone who's completely different to us. As Christ followers, we have the Holy Spirit in us to show us where we need to move. And I've really learned in my life how often God uses my experiences and my, my pain and my hurt to somehow hurts, help someone else down the track. You might have had experienced that as well. And last week, Isaac spoke in his communion message about how we need to be on the lookout for souls that God has entrusted to us. We need to keep alert for people who God brings across our path, that God is entrusting us to walk with, disciple and serve them with love. One of the first things that we need to do is to see people. We rush around a lot, don't we? We're always in a hurry. But as Jesus walked along, he saw people. As he went about his day, he paid attention to people. He noticed people and he responded. He stopped and he helped. A really great question that I learned a while ago to ask myself when God puts people in situations before us, to ask myself, what does love require of me in this moment? Because we can be talking to somebody um, about their day and, and discover all the things that they found really hard. We could be hearing about um, Stories of people who have had awful childhoods, people who have um, hard home lives now. It's, there's a myriad. We can hear all these things. And we might say things like, I'll pray for you. And they want us to pray with them. We need to serve the people that God puts in front of us with love. What does love require of me today? Does love require me to encourage someone? 
Does love require me to help someone carry something that is too hard for them to carry alone? Does love require me to cook a meal or to clean or to babysit? Does love require me to pray for someone or even better, pray with someone? Does love require me to stop and listen? Does love require me to get to know someone rather than ignore them? Does love require me to speak life into someone rather than remaining silent? Does love require me to give up my comfort and my time, maybe my nap? Does love require me to gain a new perspective of someone? Does love require me today to soften my heart towards a neighbour, a work colleague, a friend? Does love require me to invite someone into friendship rather than cut them out? Does love require me to love someone who is different to me? I haven't finished. Does love require me to build a bigger table, literally, so that more people can come to dinner? Does love require me to respond to urgent needs around me? Does love require me to commit to walking with someone in their long-term recovery? Today, does love require me to miss out on something that I wanted to do? Does love require me to walk across the room and apologise to someone? Does love require me to advocate for someone else? Does love require me to give a generous financial gift? Does it require me to make sure someone knows that they're not walking while they are walking alone? Does love require me to be a bridge crosser? A gap filler. <laughs> Does love require me to bear witness to someone's pain? <clears throat> Does love require me to visit someone? Does love require me to help someone dry out their wet shoes? What does love require of me today? And tomorrow and the next day, and the next month and the next year? We love because he first loved us, right? We love because he first loved us. When people who are suffering cross our path, we have the opportunity to give them the space to be seen and to be loved. It's not about solving their problems or fixing what you think is broken. It's about being able to serve them in love in places that they might otherwise have been alone. I read the other day, or a few weeks ago now, that trauma is not what happens to us. Trauma is what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic, empathetic witness. Now, I'm not a counsellor and I'm whatever, but I just loved the picture that that brings of the importance of us to be empathetic witnesses to people's pain. How often do we stand back? How often do we, because we don't know what to say or we don't know what to do. People need us to move forward. Love requires us to meet people in their pain so that they know they're seen and that they're loved. And we don't go at it alone, do we? God walks with us every step of the way. He is the provider of all we need to do all that he's called us to do. Today I just wanted to finish with a little quote 
that says this, that every day God invites us on the same kind of adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us a rigid itinerary. He simply invites us. God asks what it is, what it is he's made us to love. What is it that has captured our attention? And then leaning over to us, he whispers, let's go do that together. What have you seen? What needs have captured your attention? What has caused you to love today? Whatever it is, let's go do it. Let's do it. Oh, Father God, I just want to say thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that you love us, Lord, and that we can move from that place um, of security and love so that we can love and serve others, God. Lord, but sometimes we don't get it right. Lord, we, are, we put ourselves first, God. We get hurt ourselves and we wrap ourselves up thinking, I'm just going to protect myself. Lord, help us to live with open arms to the people who are around us. Help us to care deeply. Lord, help us above all to point them to you. Lord, you are the God of all comfort. You are the person that people need. Lord, we just long to serve you in our, in our lives day to day, Lord, the things that we do in our work, in our home life, in our relationships with one another. Lord, help us to not be crowded out by the things that are just frustrating in, our, in life. Lord, help us to not have ears to hear our own complaints only. Lord, help us to have ears that move from ourselves and out to hear the cries of those who are crying, Lord. Lord, help us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. But Lord, most of all, that we can point people to your victory over it all. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can come to you and know that we are safe and, safe and we can rest. Lord, we know, help us to know deeply that you Ah, God, over it all. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I just want to say that if, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I have a personal relationship with God. I'm, I'm not sure if that's me today. The invitation is there for you. You are loved by him. You are forgiven. By him, your sins are remembered no more. What God wants above all else is a relationship with you. And right here, right now, is an opportunity for you to accept him and invite him to be a part of your life.